Welcome to Pure Heart Church Podcast, Becoming Like Jesus. You're about to hear another inspirational message, and our prayer is that you are encouraged and one step closer to becoming like Jesus for the sake of others. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Weekend. Thank you so much for joining us from all around the world. I think last year in 2020, we had 131 countries tune in to be a part of our Easter Resurrection Sunday weekend. And we are just so glad that you took time to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ with us today. So shout out to all my friends and family in central Illinois and Wisconsin and all around our country. So glad to have you with us. And a very special shout out to Crossroads Recovery. Guys, we love you. We are so honored to be a part of your life and we're so glad you're you're gathering at our Crossroads campus today to watch this service with us as well. So here we go. If you're a guest or this is the first time you've tuned in with us before, uh, we want you to know that we spent critical time intentionally thinking about you as we put this service together for this Easter. We thought about you, I thought about you a lot as I was writing the message. And the reason we thought about you so much as a guest joining us today is because you matter to God and you also matter greatly to us. And so we've been thinking about you. And what, I, what I've noticed and what I've seen a lot in the last 12 months, we walked through it in our world in the last 12 months, is that so many people more than ever before are focusing on life. I've heard things like this. When will life return to normal? And my favorite, I just want to get my life back. Uh, we are a culture. We are a world that is constantly in search of life. We, we want to extend life. We want to improve life. Let's just face it. We want to control life, especially when things seem so out of control. Let me ask you this question. How many of you you knew exactly what you wanted to do when you were 16 years old. Now, if you're 16 years old, I ask you the question, do you think you got your whole future planned? Do you know exactly what you want to do? Maybe 26 years old. Because I know that when I was 26 years old, I was riding with a friend of mine in his truck and we were talking about planning a church in the future. I knew everything I wanted to do about what I would do when I was a senior pastor of a church. Then when I became a senior pastor at 36 years of age, I sure wish I would have had that young guy's confidence. I had no clue what I was doing at that point. And so another question is this, for those of you who had everything figured out at age 16 or 26, you knew exactly what you wanted life to look like, did it work out exactly the way you thought it would work out? Probably not. A lot of the things I thought would happen when I was a senior pastor didn't quite go the way that I thought they were going to go. And then I know there's a group of you who are like, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I was 16, and I'm almost 26, and I still don't know what I want to do in this life. So this Easter, I want to focus on what Jesus says about life. And so we're going to start the message off by joining Jesus in a conversation with a group of men talking about a sheep pen and a thief and a good shepherd. And Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd, but Satan, the enemy, he is the thief. And this is what he has to say. In John chapter 10, verse 10, very famous verse, he says this, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. The word steal in the Greek language, original language of the New Testament means to take. The word kill means to slaughter. And the word destroy means completely. So what Jesus is saying is this thief is coming to take, to slaughter, and to do it completely. I know it sounds like a Good Friday message, not an Easter message. Hang with me for just a moment. Then Jesus goes on and he says these words. But my purpose, my purpose is, is what? 
And maybe if you've never read this part of the Bible before, maybe you've, this is your first time listening to a church service, you might think to yourself, what? What is his purpose? His purpose is to help me not to sin and to hopefully get to heaven one day. And that's kind of way a lot of even Christians believe that, that Jesus' purpose is to help me not to sin and to get to heaven one day. So basically what we're saying is that the whole role of Jesus is for behavior modification and future joy. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Behavior modification and future joy. So, so not joy now, some kind of joy in the future. So be a really good person, do all the right things now, and one day you'll have all kinds of fun when you get to heaven. No, Jesus goes on, this is what he says. My pur purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, a life right now. Not be good and someday in heaven, everything will be better, you'll have more fun. In the original language of the New Testament, the Greek language, this is what this rich and satisfying life really said. It was a super abundant in quantity and superior in quality kind of life. So a life that's super abundant in quantity, meaning an overflowing life, and a life that is superior in quality, that is deep and satisfying. Notice what Jesus didn't say. This is so important. Jesus doesn't say, without pain, or it will be easy. And we get that, don't we? Because it's impossible to get through this life. If this last 12 months has shown us anything, it is impossible to get through this life without some pain. And sometimes life is really, really difficult. But we know this. If you live long enough, you know this. If you walk with Jesus long enough, you know that he has this amazing ability to take those broken moments, those painful moments of life, and teach us our deepest, most satisfying lessons. Lessons that we would never trade for anything, but moments we would never wanna to have to walk through again because that time was so difficult. He said, I came to give you a rich and satisfying life. Now, it's important that you remember when Jesus is saying this, he's talking to an occupied people. The Jewish people were under the thumb or under the boot, if you will, of the Roman government. They were a conquered, occupied people. He was also speaking to poor peasants who had absolutely no rights. As a matter of fact, if a Roman soldier came past a Jewish person in those days and was carrying a pack and decided, you know what, I'm tired of carrying this pack, they could set it down, turn to the Jewish person and say, I want you to carry my pack. And by law, they had to carry his pack for one mile, for one mile. That was, that was the law of the land. They were an occupied people under the pressure of the Roman government. And listen, they just wanted their life back. They just wanted life to change. They wanted life to be different. If you're watching this with somebody today, turn to your friend and say this, and you thought wearing a mask was difficult, right? Come on. They were an occupied, oppressed people. And Jesus comes along and he says, my purpose is to give you a super abundant life right now. Now, when Jesus comes on the scene, starts his ministry, there is so much, there's such a buzz, there's so much excitement. There are miracles taking place everywhere. Deaf people are hearing, blind people are seeing, lame people are walking, even the dead are rising from the dead. Miracles happening everywhere. And he's teaching with great compassion and authority. And I think those two things matter greatly. He has authority. The, the, the people said, no one has ever taught with such authority, but he taught with compassion and with love, love and truth, love and truth. They have to go together. And there's such a buzz and the people are asking the crowds, inside the crowds, people are asking these questions like, who is this man? Look at the things he's doing. Who is this man? And then in a very pivotal moment, 
Jesus pulls his disciples off to the side and he has a life clarifying conversation. And that's where I wanna land this Easter. I wanna lean into this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples as he's walking along the road. Now, Pastor Heath Bottomley last weekend kind of dove into this story a little bit, but I wanna take it a little bit farther. So here we go. We're gonna be in Mark chapter eight and verse 27. Now, Mark records these words. As they were walking, Jesus, he asked, who do the people say that I am? So Jesus hears the, the stirring, he hears the questions, and he goes, hey, hey, guys, who is it that people say I am? Jesus is setting up the question with this question. There's a bigger question that's coming, but this is a question he asked before the question. And they replied, in verse 20 it says, well, they replied, uh, some are saying, Jesus, that you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And some are saying, Elijah, or others are saying you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them the question that he asks all of us. It's the question that every human being at some point is going to have to answer. And this is what Jesus asked them. He said, okay, but who do you say that I am? Okay, that, that's what the crowds are saying, but I wanna know you, my inner circle, those closest to me, who do you say that I am? Now you have to watch Peter's response. It's such a great response. In verse 29, Peter replied, Peter speaks up, he says, I, I believe that you are the, here he says it, Messiah. Messiah meant Christ or salvation or redeemer. I believe you are the Messiah. And listen, Messiah, big deal in Jewish culture. Big, big, the biggest deal of all. Game changer, life, um, flipping life right side up type of person. The Messiah meant everything to them. And so when Jesus, when, the, when Peter says you are the Messiah, the culture of that day, believed strongly. I mean, it was permeated the culture that when the Messiah came, he would turn the world right side up. The Jewish people would no longer be an occupied people. We can't even get our minds around this today. What he believed, what he understood, what they understood, what Peter understood, what the disciples understood is that the Messiah was gonna be a political king, a conquering hero, that he would come and he would give them their life back. And they were desperate for that. Now, can you imagine what the rest of the disciples are doing as they hear Peter utter these words? You are the Messiah. They had to be holding their breath. Like, what is Jesus gonna say? How is he gonna respond to Peter's statement? What's he gonna say? And Jesus looks at them and it's recorded in different gospels. And basically Jesus says, it's true. I, I am the Messiah. Now, I'm not ready for you to tell anybody yet. I don't want you to tell anybody yet. But what Jesus says next was the opposite of what they were expecting. So let me ask you this. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and in your mind before you had the conversation, you thought this is how it's gonna work out. This is how this conversation is gonna go. But then the conversation goes in the complete opposite direction of what you thought it was going to go. That is what's about to happen to the disciples right now. This conversation is good. I mean, they're really excited. They had to be overjoyed to hear Jesus say, it's true, I am the Messiah. And so they had in their minds this whole expectation about what the Messiah was gonna do in this life right now. And the conversation goes in the direct opposite direction. And so then Jesus has this conversation with them, verse 31. And then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many. The NLT, New Living Translation, says it this way, terrible things. And that he will be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers. 
and he would be killed. I think at that point, they heard terrible things, rejection. When they heard killed, I believe their minds probably just shut off at that point. They didn't even hear this next statement. But in three days, three days later, he will rise from the dead. I don't even know if they caught that part. They probably got lost at he is going to be killed. Watch what Peter does next. It's a famous, famous passage. Verse 32. Now, every disciple had to be thinking what Peter was about to say, but Peter's just that guy. He's the only one bold enough to just say the thing that probably needs to be said or the question that needs to be asked. And so Peter just, he just says it. And so it says that Peter took him aside. He, he doesn't even say this in front of the other disciples. Like Peter goes, come here, okay, the whole, the whole suffering piece, the whole, you're gonna, I'm gonna be killed piece. Come over here, come over here for a second. Watch what Peter does. This is so outrageous. It says, Peter took him aside and he began to reprimand him. One translation says, rebuked him. Come on, he's rebuking God. Serious, serious guts right there. Reprimanded him for saying such things. I mean, how did that go down? I mean, the Mark doesn't give us the exact words that Peter uses. It just says he begins to reprimand him. So we don't know what he said, but it was something about Peter's tone that every other disciple knew that, G, that Peter was a little hopped up. He was a little extra in this moment. And his tone definitely said, reprimand, rebuke. And so he's rebuking Jesus. And, and maybe, maybe his conversation went something like this. Hey, we've got a really good life going here. If you haven't noticed, the crowds are getting bigger. More and more people are following. This is a good life, Jesus. This is heading in the direction that I think it should be heading. So no more talk of death. No more talk of suffering. No more talk of rejection. We got too good of a life happening right now. So answer to your statements. Answer what you're saying is no. That can't happen. Now, I love what Mark records next. Mark goes on and he says, verse 33, and Jesus turned around and he looked at his disciples. So, so Peter's rebuking him. Peter's reprimanding him. The tone is probably getting a little bit heated. And Peter just turns from the conversation. He looks at the rest of the disciples. And I love that he pauses. I love that he invo involves all of them because I know that he knows everything that they're thinking everything that they're wrestling with in that moment, not just Peter. They're all wrestling with it. John's gotta be wrestling with it. James is wrestling with it. They're all wrestling with it. Now, if you've never heard this story before, what do you think Jesus is going to say? <laughs> I mean, honestly, what do you think he's gonna say? If you've never heard the story before, what, I mean, maybe, maybe you think, I, I would think to myself, I've never heard the story before, you made me go, okay, now guys, I know. This sounds really hard, maybe with compassion. He'd be like, I know you're overwhelmed right now. I just has to be really hard right now. Everything's gonna be okay. My father's got a plan. It's gonna be all right. I appreciate the feedback. Really, Peter, Peter, I do. I, I appreciate your concern for me. I appreciate your concern about the movement and what's happening. Um, I do appreciate the feedback. It doesn't, it doesn't go like that at all. No, it doesn't go down like that. Not, not one bit like that. Um, but. What Jesus says next, um, if you were there that day, it made your hair stand up on your arms. But it got your attention real quick. It says, Jesus turns and he says to Peter, get away from me, Satan. I mean, just, just say that out loud with me for a moment. Everyone, where you are, driving your car, watching on, t on your TV or on your, on your phone, just say that with me. Get away from me, Satan. 
Can you imagine being in Peter's sandals in that moment? That moment for Peter, get away from me, Satan. And then he says this, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view. Say that with me, from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. But let's be honest, isn't, isn't that the way that all of us see life? Most of us, we spend our lives looking at it from our human point of view. We, we miss some of the things that, that God is up to, the, the grander things that he wants to do with us. We look at life so often just from our small, myopic, human point of view and not God's grander vision for our life. And so why does Jesus rebuke Satan while he's addressing Peter? That's a great question. Since I was a young boy, I grew up in church. So since I was a young boy, I mean, I've heard the story many, many times. I've always wondered, why is Jesus at this point <clears throat> rebuking and reprimanding Satan while he's addressing Peter. Here's my conviction. Here's why I've landed on this. Here's what I believe. If you've ever heard the story of the temptation of Jesus, so, so Jesus comes and John the Baptist baptizes him and Jesus comes up out of the water. And in that moment, it's a beautiful moment. In that moment, <clears throat> the Father, God, Father God's voice booms from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then it says, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness and he is tempted by Satan. And if you remember that story at all, if you remember the second temptation of Christ, his second temptation, Satan takes him to this moment where he can, I don't know how he does it, but he takes him to this moment where he can see all the kingdoms of the earth. Think about this. And he says to Jesus in that moment, if you'll just worship me, now remember this, if you'll just worship me, Satan said, it's under my authority to give you all these kingdoms of the earth. All you gotta do, Jesus, is worship me. I'll give you every kingdom that you see right here and right now in this life if you just worship me. And Jesus said it's written to worship only God alone. And here's the, here's the deal. Jesus knew that he came for a greater kingdom. Not an earthly kingdom. Earthly kingdoms come and go. Jesus came for an eternal kingdom. I believe he came for a kingdom of the soul, a kingdom of the heart. He came to be king of our hearts. Why? Because God's kingdom is always an inside out kingdom. The greatest joy, the greatest hope, everything in life that really matters starts on the inside. Anything great that God wants to do in our life begins on the inside. Every dream begins in the soul. It begins in the heart. Everything that matters starts in the heart. And Jesus didn't come for a political kingdom. Jesus came to be the king of our hearts. And listen, if the kingdom of our heart is solid, no outside kingdom no pandemic, nothing can shake us if our heart kingdom is right with Jesus. If he sits on the throne of our heart, everything else will be solid in our life, no matter what happens on the outside. If the inside's strong, we can face anything in this life. In chapter seven, leading into chapter eight, Mark records all kinds of conversations that Jesus has with people and he keeps pointing them to the heart. They keep looking at the outside of things and Jesus says, no, no, no. It's not about what's going on the outside. It matters what's happening in the heart. And now, now Jesus, he will go to Jerusalem. He will be beaten and he will be hung on a cross. That's right, he'll be rejected by the leaders. He will face and terrible pain and terrible things will happen to him. He will be crucified on a cross. They will kill him. He'll be mocked with a sign. 
They'll put a sign over his head that says, King of the Jews. And the Jewish leaders will say, he's not our king. And it's okay. It's okay. You know why? Because he didn't come to be their political king. He didn't come to be their distorted view of Messiah. He came to be the king of their hearts and his, his kingdom would be established from the inside out. And I know some of you are saying, Dan, are you extrapolating? Where, where are you getting that? Help me understand where, where you're pulling this from. Read a little longer. Just keep on going. Go, go with me for a couple more minutes. In verse 34, chapter eight, back to our story. He says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. And here it is. You ready? Watch this. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Some translations say, you will find it. If you try to squeeze it, if you try to hold on to it, if you try to control it, if you try to extend it, whatever you try to do with life, if you try to do it in your own strength, in your own power, you're gonna lose. You're gonna lose the life that you've always wanted. I believe that this statement, this statement is listed, is mentioned in every single gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four writers use this statement. If you want life, you have to give up life. And here's what Jesus is saying. In order to take hold of the life you've always wanted, you have to let go of the life that you think you want. And here's my big question for you this Easter. My question is this, what do you need to let go of so that you can truly live? What is it in this life that you need to let go of so that you can truly live? Maybe, maybe for you it's a relationship. Maybe it's a friendship. And if we're gonna be honest today, you know that friendship is not taking you where you wanna go. Matter of fact, if you wanna get real, real, real with me today, if you could talk to me and we could sit down and have a conversation, you would tell me that friendship has brought about the most regrets in your life. But for some reason, you keep hanging on to it. Or maybe it's a dating relationship and you think you can change him and you think you can change her. She doesn't want to follow Jesus. He doesn't want to follow Jesus, but you keep holding on because you've invested so much already. You've already gone to places you said you were never going to go with this person. You've done things you said you'd never want to do and you feel like you'd lose too much if you let go. And Jesus says, if you let go, you'll find the life you've always wanted. But it's so hard for us to do that. Maybe it's a career choice. My question to you, is it, is it your choice? Um, is it your parents' choice for you? Or is it really God's choice? Is, maybe it's a dream. I ask you again, is it your dream? Is it your parents' dream for you? Is it a friend's dream that they had and you thought it sounded cool so you've been kind of carrying it since you were 16 years of age and now you're 26 and you can't figure out how to make that dream happen? And maybe it's because that dream was never for you. But you'll never know until you let go of that dream and pick up what God wants for you. To trust him with it. Maybe for you, it's a past hurt and you can't move forward looking backwards. Life doesn't work well. You can't drive a car real well looking in the rearview mirror and you keep ruminating and you keep talking about it. And guess what? In the beginning, it was vulnerability and it was a good thing for your soul to be vulnerable. But now that vulnerability has turned into victimhood and you just stay stuck in that place and you can't let go of that hurt. But you need to. You need to trust God enough to forgive them, to let it go, to move forward so you can find the life that he wants for you. 
Maybe it's expectations. And you've been waiting for your dad to say that thing for a long time. You're desperate for him to say it. You wish he would just acknowledge it. You wish he'd be honest about it. But listen, it's not in him to do it. And you know the way he was raised. You know the things that he went through. And maybe you're expecting something from him. There's just no way he can give you. And if you let go of that father expectation in this life and you grab a hold of your heavenly father, you're gonna find the life you're looking for. But trying to get dad, trying to get mom, trying to get that coach, trying to get that teacher, trying to get that person in authority to give you what you have, that you've always wanted, they can't fill that spot in your soul. They just can't. And you're gonna have to let go of that expectation. Maybe it's money. <laughs> Man, let's just be honest. What if giving is more satisfying than having? What if it is? I believe it is. Or maybe it's just the way that you're escaping. It's the way you're numbing out and dealing with the stress of life, especially over the last 12 months. What if your escaping is keeping you stuck? Maybe it's time you let go of some of these habits you've developed in the last 12 months so that you can take a hold of what God has for you for this life. The life that you've always wanted could be just on the other side of letting go of what you think you want. And I know for some of you that was really hard to hear. Matt, I love you. More importantly, God loves you. And he wants to give you the life you've always dreamed of. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not going to say at times it won't be painful and difficult. But all great things are. All things worth, all things worth having are difficult at times. There's a journey to go through. So here it comes. This is huge. Just don't miss this. This is so good. Verse 36. And then Jesus looks at the crowd. And I'm sure he looks at the disciples and he looks at Peter and he says, and what would it benefit you if you gained the whole world? Like what, what would it benefit you to gain the whole world? Don't tell me for a second. He's not reflecting on the temptation of Satan. That second temptation. If you worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus said, what would it benefit you to gain the whole world? But lose your own soul. And then he says it. Here it is. This is why I'm talking about kingdom of the heart. Is anything worth more than your soul? Because Jesus knows this. All of life flows from your heart. Everything flows from your inner being. Everything. Everything. And he came to be the king of our heart. Because that's the only thing that lasts forever. Everything else, this body, this world, all gonna disappear. But your soul is eternal. And that's what matters the most. Not a political king, no interested in that. Not interested at all. King of your heart, extremely important. It's what matters the most. Let's just take a moment. Maybe for some of you, you need to reflect back on some of the things that I just shared, some of the things I pushed on a little bit in your heart. Listen to this song. It's a beautiful song. It's, it's by Elevation, and our team put it together for this, for this week, and it's called There is a King. Let it wash over your soul today. And there is a king seated among us. Let every heart receive him now. Where there is praise, he will inhabit. And there will be grace and mercy. Every burden will be lifted. 
What a beautiful song. I wanna end this Easter weekend with part of Paul's prayer that he writes to the church in Rome. The church in Rome in the first century was under tremendous persecution, all kinds of pain. Life for them was upside down. And listen to how Paul in this prayer talks about the kingdom of the heart. And this is what he says in Romans 15, verse 13. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you. I like that part. He will fill you completely with joy and with peace. And there's so many things in this life that God fills us with hope and fills us with joy and fills us with peace about. For me, like when our kids were born, there was so much joy in that moment. I think, and there was some pain, don't get me wrong. I mean, Nicole hurt my feelings once. She got mad at me when I was coaching her. It's a long story, I won't get into it. Um, there's great joy in ministry at Pure Heart. I get to do something that lasts forever. 
Um, this week leading into Easter, um, we, our whole team got together, uh, a whole bunch of our team got together and we put together salads from salad to go and we served like 3,000 people in our city and just blessed people. There was so much joy in that moment, but the joy is deeper than just serving and, and kids being born and marriages and these great moments. There's the joy that's way down deep inside of being forgiven. Yeah, maybe some of you know what that's like. And you know this, that washing away of that shame, that purity feels better than sin ever tasted, doesn't it? That purity feels so much better than that sin ever tasted in your life. And there's the joy of the purpose and pain that God's able to take the broken areas of our life and put them back together in such a way to use them to make a difference in people's life. And there's such joy in that. But now watch what, what Paul writes next in this prayer. He says, then you will overflow. I love that. Super abundant full quality, rich, satisfying life. You're gonna overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. In these last 12 months, I've done several memorial services, celebrations of life. Uh, some for people that I knew really well, some people I didn't know at all, but I had the honor of standing up and celebrating this person's life. And more than ever before, more than ever before, I saw the stark contrast between those who knew Jesus deeply, the knew the Jesus life deeply, and those who didn't. There was such a stark contrast between those celebrations of life. And one of the, one of the most powerful celebrations of life that I got to, um, got to lead was a woman named Celia Clifton. She was 70 years of age. She had overcome cancer. I think she was in remission for almost seven years. And then a few months back, the cancer came back and it came back aggressively. And um, she went home to be with Jesus pretty quickly. Her family came and hung out in my office and I was sitting there with her, her two daughters and her son, Larry, and we were hanging out together and they were telling stories. And the stories were so compelling of Celia's life. Now, I, I knew her a little bit. We had met a few times at church and every interaction with her was so full of joy and so full of hope. And she was so passionate about Jesus. She was born in Chihuahua, Mexico. She worked as a teacher's assistant for a while and a secretary assistant for a while. And in this life, many people would never have noticed a Celia Clifton. Now, here she is, an immigrant coming to this country, trying to find out how to have a better life. And yet she loved Jesus with all of her, led all of her sisters to Jesus, led her brothers to Jesus, led her family to Jesus. She was so passionate about Jesus, on fire for God. And as she was, they were sharing the stories with me, they overwhelmed me so much so that I did this entire memorial service without looking at my notes. I've never done that. I talked for 45 minutes just sharing the stories and telling her story. It was so compelling. It was so powerful, so beautiful, so full of life. That's what she was full of, Jesus' life. Let me tell you a couple stories real quick. The first story, I love this. She was so passionate about Jesus. She told everybody about Jesus. Her neighbor called her one day, uh, middle of the night and said, Celia, there's somebody in my backyard. And so she's from Chihuahua, Mexico, man. She's, she's tough. She's not worried about anything. She marches across the street, goes into the backyard. And as she gets in the backyard, there's a teenage guy with a ski mask over his face trying to steal a bike out of the garage. And she shouts out. She goes, in broken English, she goes, you stop. You stop right now. I know what you're doing. And, she, and they're telling me the story. And I'm like on the edge of my seat. She goes, you stop right now. And she says, I know what you're doing. And she says, I know you feel really bad in your heart right now. <laughs> like She said that. You feel really bad. She goes, but here's, the th here's, the, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna put the bike back and then you're gonna ask Jesus to come into your heart because he's gonna make your heart feel better. And when you do that, I'm not gonna call the cops. And she prayed for this kid. The kid goes, okay, put the bike back and prayed to receive Jesus right there. That's just the kind of passion and boldness that she had. Another story that one of her daughters told me is that she had, when she was a young girl, she had uh, 17, 18 years of age, I think, had gone to Danny's car wash 
And she had something, maybe jewelry or something in her console. And one of the guys at the car wash stole it out of her console. She went home, she tells her mom, she goes, mom, I was at Danny's car wash. They stole, the guy, one of the guys stole out of my car. She goes, we go down, we're going down there. And so she goes down there boldly. She goes up to the manager and she says, listen, I need all the guys that are cleaning cars right now to stop. I need to talk to them for three minutes. This guy stops. He makes everybody stop washing cars. They all gather around and she goes, somebody, one of you stole my daughter's stuff, jewelry, whatever it was. He goes, you stole it and you know you stole it and your heart feels bad right now. She says, but what happens when you confess it and you admit that you're wrong, you're gonna start to feel better. And this one young guy, he raises his hand, he goes, uh, ma'am, I stole it. And she says, okay, now come here. And she says, I want you to pray. And Jesus is going to heal your heart. You're going to feel better. And you're going to receive Jesus and your life is going to be better. And she prayed for the guy to receive Jesus. And then she looked at the manager of the car wash and she said, and you, she goes, you will not fire him. No, he belongs to Jesus now. You will promote him because he's better now that he has Jesus. True story. She actually tells the guy this. The best part of her life was in the last few moments. So she's in her hospital room and none of the family can visit because of COVID regulations. And she's on a little iPad computer in there. All the families watching on video from around the state. Now she's led her sisters to Jesus and so she's calling them out one by one and saying, talking to them. And all of a sudden as her life got towards the end of this life, she started to say over and over again, God is good, God is good. God is good. And finally, one of her daughters, she goes, mama, mama, we, we know that God is good. And then she said this, with everything she had in her, she goes, no, God is so good. And those were the last words of Celia Clifton's life, this side of heaven. And what I believe with all of my heart is that as she was passing from this life to the next, the king of her heart, the resurrection life of Jesus was engulfing her eternal soul and taking her from this life to the best life. And she had this overflowing, confident hope that no matter what she was facing, cancer, pain, not being with her family, my God is good. She was experiencing the life of Jesus in her last moments in this life. I don't think I'll ever forget that story. And I wanted to share it with you this Easter because I believe many of you needed to hear that. That the life that Jesus promises, it's not about behavior modification and some kind of future joy. It's joy and peace and confident hope right now in the midst of whatever you're facing. As we end this message, I wanna give you the opportunity to make the most important decision of your life. There's something I left out, five words I left out of Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Let's go back and read that for just a second. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace, and look at these last five words, because you trust in him. Because you trust in him. Because you're willing to put the full weight of your life on him. Because you're willing to let go of what you want in this life for what, and take a hold of what he wants in this life. If you try to hold on to your life, you'll lose it. If you trust him, you'll find it. And so for some of you today, for the first time in your life, you're ready to make the most important decision of your life to say, Jesus, I need you to lead my life. I'm done trying to control it. I'm done trying to make it happen for myself. I need you to lead my life. 
And so if you're able to, just bow your heads with me right now and invite Christ in to be king of your heart. Say this with me. Lord Jesus, right now in this moment, I put my trust in you. Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. Yeah, you know what it is, Lord. You know the things that I've done. Just say this in your own words. You know the things that I've done. I need you to forgive me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Jesus, I need you to fill me with your presence, with your hope and your love and your joy and your peace. Thank you for loving me and never giving up on me. I trust you with all of my life in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Greatest decision you'll ever make. What an honor to be with you this Easter weekend. Thank you for tuning in with us. I wanna encourage you, if you know somebody who needs this message, share it with them so they can find the hope that they need in Jesus as well. Have a great weekend, everybody.